1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, please open it there today. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9, Paul continues in our passage. He says, but as touching or concerning brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. The Thessalonian church was a loving church. We've seen many tremendous qualities on these new believers. They're saved probably between one to two years. We're not totally sure, but that's about where we put it. But they had such a zeal for Christ and such a zeal for the gospel. But being young in the faith, there's a lot of things they didn't understand yet. And so that's what Paul is going to be teaching them today, or the scriptures, okay, or or we're going to see today. And maybe you've never learned anything. Maybe you've heard of something about a rapture. What is that weird thing that Christians believe about Jesus coming and all this kind of stuff? Well, we're glad you're here today because that's what we're going to look at. But in the meantime... Now, they had trusted Christ the Savior, but God said, you know what, I have a way, as a believer, once you're a Christian, I have a way that I'd like you to live. Now, you don't have to do that to get to heaven. It's because we're saved, we're children of God, God says, okay, this is the way I want my children to behave. That's the way I want you to live. And so this is one of the things, and one of the major things in Scripture is that we learn to love one another, to love one another, to care for each other, okay? As God loves us, we are to love one another. We've been talking a lot about that in our Sunday night service as we've been going through 1 John. Verse 10, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, that was the region that they lived in, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Keep at it, grow, do it even more, okay? And that you study to be quiet, to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, here's the interesting words here, this word study, okay? The idea in studying is, is to be diligent or make this your aim, okay? Give yourself to this. And he says, study to be quiet. The idea is to be still, all right? The idea here is simply put this way. If you put those two things together, Live for Christ the way you should. Focus on him, okay? Don't be a busybody. Focus on living the way God wants you to as a believer. See, if we're walking in love, we won't be busybodies, okay? And he says, you notice here, he says, work with your own hands. Again, be focused, be focused. Folks, God's way, by the way, has to do with personal responsibility, okay? Now, I say this not so much for those of us who are seniors, okay, because we were taught these things, but a lot of our younger people today, and and I'm not blaming them, or you, if you're that way, I'm not blaming you for this. Maybe there's a lot that you probably weren't taught, especially if you came up through the public school system. One of the things, folks, that is hurting our nation is that we have the mentality that it's the government's responsibility to take care of us. That was never the goal from the beginning of our nation. But now you see all these candidates coming up who are promoting socialism. And a lot of our young adults are saying, yeah, boy, you know what, that sounds fair. That sounds fair. You know, everybody should have the same. No one should do without. Well, listen, we don't want people to do without, but at the same time, by the way, keep coming on in this study in Thessalonians, because when we're done with 1 Thessalonians, we'll go to 2 Thessalonians, and it actually says things later on in Thessalonians, things such as this. Put this in light of what we see in the culture today. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now that's God speaking, 
Don't get mad at me. God's the one who says it. Now, that doesn't mean if there are people who can't work that we don't care for them and help them, but that's something for the people to do. That's not the government's responsibility. And when we're loving each other, you see, we're going to help other people who have needs. That's the way it's supposed to be. But it's not the government's responsibility. Did you know, according to the Bible, the government has two responsibilities, to protect its citizens, to protect, that's why we have, that's what the importance of the armed forces, by the way, to protect the citizens and to punish evildoers. To protect the citizens and to punish evildoers. You know, biblically, you know, according to the word of God, those are the two responsibilities of government, not all the other stuff that the government's doing today. It's because of all the other stuff the government is doing, that's why your taxes are so high. So if you whine and complain about how high your taxes are, and by the way, they're only going to go way, way up if socialism comes into office in America. Not a good idea. So they may be new faces, and they may be all pumped up about it, and the press may be giving them positive coverage, but friends, socialism is a miserable failure. That's not just my opinion. It's the proof of history. Okay? All right. Well, I took more time on that than I'd planned, but let's move on, okay? Verse 12, that you may walk honestly towards them that are without or outside the faith, and that you may have lack of nothing. How? Well, work with your own hands. Be focused. Mind your own business. Love one another. God says it'll all take care of itself if you do that. Now, we as believers, what's he saying? We as believers should live faithful lives. We should be working hard for a living. We should be living out our faith in public, loving people, caring for them, respecting them. Listen, let's say somebody has a different view of things than we do as believers. What should our attitude be towards them? It should be one of loving them anyway. Okay? Okay, you don't see eye to eye. You don't believe Jesus is your Savior. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be a friend to you. I'm going to treat you in a kind way. By the way, that's real tolerance. That's real tolerance. It isn't, well, if you don't have a belief that fits into my belief system, we ought to do away with you. That's it's unbelievable where we're at today with this stuff, isn't it? We should be people, Christians should be people of honesty and integrity, looking for opportunities to share Christ, especially as we look for the Lord to come back, which is what the Bible tells us we should be doing. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, folks, is coming back, and the Bible tells us, teaches us, that he could come back at any moment, and we need to be ready to see him. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, all right, we call this event the rapture of the church, and so that's where we're going to focus through the rest of our time today. Now, when is the rapture going to take place? Let me, let me just say this today. If you've never heard this before, this may sound very sensational to you, all right? It may sound like science fiction to you, but it's not science fiction. It is really going to happen. Everything is moving towards that direction. We look for the Lord to come back. We know what the Bible says about the future, okay? We know that the uh, turmoil and the friction and everything that we see in the world today, it's only going to get worse, according to the Bible, now, I'm not a pessimist, I'm an optimist because I'm looking for Jesus to come. 
And it will get worse in the world before it gets better, according to the scriptures. But the rapture of the church, the catching away, when Jesus comes and takes believers to heaven, that could take place at any moment. It will be one of the most important events in all of human history. Why do I say that? Because it will produce an upheaval that I believe is going to be unprecedented. Now, I personally hold to the view that there are millions of people who will instantaneously disappear from the planet. This is what the Bible teaches. Disappear. How fast? In a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, that's faster than a blink. In other words, they'll be there one second. Before a second takes place, they'll be gone. Who's going to go? I believe all those who have trusted Jesus Christ the Savior. I also believe children are going to go. Those children who have not come to a point to where they can understand the truths of the gospel, the where God does not hold them accountable yet, I think God's going to take them. I personally believe uh, babies in the womb are going to go because they're human beings and God's going to take them. Imagine it. Imagine what this is going to be like. Imagine people who are not saved, who have children, all right? And when the rapture takes place, those little children are gone. They have disappeared right before their eyes. Imagine being in a vehicle with somebody, and that person is a believer in Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, they're the driver, and all of a sudden, they are gone, and that car does not have a driver. A jet, okay? Heavy construction, Equipment. I mean, you name it, think about it. Imagine a person on the operating table opened up, maybe having a heart transplant or something, and the surgeon, that very skilled individual, just happens to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and that surgeon disappears in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This is what's going to take place when the rapture takes place. And believe me, it's not just in America, it's all over the world. There are believers all over the world. Imagine what it's going to be like if it takes place on a Sunday morning. The churches who don't believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, when the rapture takes place, the vast majority of those people in those churches, they won't even know what happened because they had the wrong way to salvation. They were trusting in the wrong thing. They are trusting in their good works to get them to heaven. Therefore, they will be left behind. But a church like this, and I would hope that everybody in the church here has trusted Christ the Savior. If the rapture takes place while we're together, and and that is my prayer and desire that we are in church, sometimes studying the word of God, having the scriptures open, talking about Jesus, and we hear the trumpet and bam, we are gone. Bibles, notebooks fall to the floor, okay? All the people are gone, hopefully from our church. Let me say this. This video will in a few weeks be on YouTube. Listen, friend, let me say this. If the rapture takes place and you're wondering where did the Christians go, where did these born-again people go, these Bible believers, those who talked about salvation only through Jesus Christ and not by works, where did they all go? I'm telling you now, they're in heaven. They're in heaven, enjoying the fellowship of God and friends and loved ones who have gone on before. You don't want to be left behind. All who are saved, maybe millions of people, will suddenly disappear from earth 
instantaneously. While it is only for believers in Christ, it will affect the entire world. Unprecedented event in human history. Now, let's go on. Let's define some things. What is the rapture of the church, okay? It is the literal event of when Jesus Christ will descend from heaven and call out of the world all those who have trusted in him and him alone as their savior. We will disappear from the world in a moment and we are going to meet him in the air. So he's gonna come back, but he's not gonna come back all the way to earth. He's going to come back, he'll be in the air, and he will call us up to meet him. That's how it's going to take place. It is the fulfillment of what Jesus talked about to his disciples over in John 14. Let's go there for just a moment and see this. It's interesting in John 14, there's no real explanation. There's just the statement. See, the explanation was going to come later when the church age was in motion, which is where we are today, what's called the church age. So this is the rapture of the church. Now in John chapter 14, it says in verse one, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, in my father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Look what Jesus says. I go to prepare a place for you. Where is Jesus today? He is in heaven. What is he doing? He's preparing a place for his children, those who have trusted Christ as Savior. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. Notice the language here. I will receive you unto myself that where I am, where is he? Heaven. There ye may also be. So he's going to come Leave heaven, come, receive us unto himself, then go back and we will be with him. Now, several truths here I want to mention. Because one of the, one of the criticisms people have against what we call the rapture, they'll say, well, the word rapture is nowhere in the Bible. Well, uh, no, the word rapture itself is not in the Bible. By the way, neither is the word trinity, but it's true. Neither is the word Bible, but it's true. No, the word rapture is not found in our English Bibles, but it is, it does come from the Latin. And the word word in Latin is the word rapturo, rapturo, which means to be caught up. Now the phrase caught up, as we will see, that is in the Bible. Caught up, to seize, to take by force. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4 again and let's start going through these scriptures that deal with this event. I just want you to know that the rapture is not only talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's talked about many places in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says this to this church. Now when I say church, he's not talking to a building. He's talking to those who have trusted Jesus Christ the Savior. They are called the church. The church is a called out assembly of believers. It's not a building. Well, by our definition today, there are buildings called churches, but the church is not really a building. The church is the people of that body. Now, Paul says this, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, he's not talking about physically sleeping. 
you know, like some of you are right now who aren't hearing me anyway because you're catching up on some logs or sawing some logs. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now let's define some of these things, okay? First thing I want you to notice, Paul says this, he did not want them to be ignorant about this, about future prophecy. Now this is a major concern I have today as I look at the church, quote unquote, or Christendom, quote unquote, or even those who are truly saved and they go to more progressive churches that that, that maybe what they'd be called seeker-friendly churches who will say things such as this. Well, you know what? We don't talk about prophecy. We think that's a side issue. That's really not something that's talked about here. We don't think that is important. Dear friend, let me challenge you, those pastors who think that way, this is interesting in light of the mindset we have today because one-fourth to one-third of the Bible is prophecy, okay? Now, as a preacher and a teacher, you have a responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. And if you are not preaching and teaching prophecy, biblical prophecy, you are basically ignoring or rejecting one-fourth to one-third of what the Bible says, you might say, well, what's it matter? I'll tell you what it matters. Your, your people will not be sound in the faith. They will be missing very important concepts in the scriptures. And by the way, one of those concepts is being motivated by the fact that Jesus could come back at any time. And also the, what's called the judgment seat of Christ, which we're not going to get on that this morning. Come back tonight. We'll talk more about that. Every local church needs to be teaching prophecy. If it is not, it is not a church that is honoring God the way it should. Okay? The Thessalonian saints were, here's what they were wondering. See, they hadn't been saved long, so they were wondering this. What will happen to the believers who have died when Christ comes again? They knew people who had trusted Christ as Savior. They knew Jesus was coming, but these people had died. What happens? Or what happened to them? See, they hadn't been taught yet. That's why Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Therefore, I will teach you the truth. Now, those in verse 13, you notice what it says? It says, even as others which have no hope, those in verse 13 who have no hope are those who die without having trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You might say, why do you say they have no hope? Because if you don't trust Christ before you die, there is no hope for you. There are no second chances. You don't come back as a pig or a horse or something else and reincarnation, okay? I'm not sure why you'd want to come back as something like that, but it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. You might say, well, I just want to come back a bigger version of myself, <laughs> tell you what, if that's the way you think, I bet most people wouldn't want you to come back like that. Um, Think about it. Anyways, let's move on. Verse 14, it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also would sleep in Jesus. What does that mean to sleep in Jesus? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It is not talking about what the Seventh-day Adventists teach, which is something called soul sleep. 
to where basically if you die physically as a believer, you're kind of like in a comatose state as a Christian. You get buried, you're there, you're not in heaven, you're in the ground, and you're waiting. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? When the Bible talks about sleep, it's talking about, if anything, it's talking about the believer's body, not the believer. The believer is very much alive. The believer is with the Lord. We know that, and we're going to see that in just a moment. So sleep here refers to those who have died physically. It refers to their body, but they themselves are with the Lord. Let me give you a couple scriptures on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 8, and we'll project this up. It says this, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the worms in the ground. No, 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 no. Absent from the body, present with who? The Lord. So if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and you die, you will be absent from your body, you will be present with the Lord. In other words, you go immediately to heaven. You leave your body here, you go to heaven. Also, Ephesians 3.15, Paul says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Notice he doesn't say the whole family in earth. Heaven and earth. Well, who are the ones on earth? That's us who are alive. Who are the ones in heaven? That's the believers who have died. They're with the Lord there, but it's all the family of God. Now, number two, what will happen at the rapture? What will happen at the rapture? We see this in verses 15 and 17. I am just amazed how detailed God gets with this stuff. It is so exciting, so exciting to see it. Because we know exactly what's going to take place. Now, we don't know every single little minute thing about it, but it even gives it to us step by step. Now, remember, it could take place at any time. I'm getting ahead of myself. But what will happen at the rapture? Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Oh, I hope that's us. I hope that's us. I don't want to die physically. You might say, well, are you afraid of death? No, I'm not afraid of dying. I just am not crazy about the idea of suffering to die. Okay. I now it wouldn't bother me one bit if I was hit by a truck or something like that, you know, where you're just kind of out of the picture all of a sudden or blown up by a, by a bomb or something like that. You know, I mean, I would go to pieces, but that's another issue. Look what it says. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, that's those who are alive when Jesus comes back at the rapture, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now this word prevent, this is one of those words that has changed meanings in our mind from when the King James Version was written and we love the King James, but the word prevent here means precede precede, go go before. So those of us who are alive when the rapture takes place, we are not going to heaven before those who have gone to be with the Lord. Now you might say, well, wait, I'm getting confused by this. Folks, Jesus is going to come back with them as we're going to see in just a moment. Their bodies, which they left behind, their bodies are going to be resurrected and changed into a spiritual body. And that is going to take place when the rapture takes place. It's going to happen instantaneously. 
and they are going to be resurrected. You might say, why do they go first? Well, because they have six feet more to go than we do. Okay, we have to be caught up together. We have to be caught up together. Now, I know that opens up all kinds of questions. People, what about cremation? Okay, what about person who was cremated and they took their ashes and they went and they got out in the ocean and they sprinkled them little by little and the little fishies came and ate them and then the big fishies came and ate them and then the bigger fishies came and ate them. Then Jaws came and ate them. And what are you, you going to do with that? You know what? I don't lose sleep over that stuff. I'm just telling you, this is what God says. He's the one who created it all. He understands creation. He understands how everything works. And believe me, it's going to happen just the way he said. Okay? The bodies of the dead in Christ will be resurrected and changed. This is explained in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Okay? And with the voice of the archangel and with the trump or the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ, those bodies shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, rapturo in the Latin. This is the rapture. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord, look what it says, in the clouds, or excuse me, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, not on earth, in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul also talked to the Corinthian church and he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51, he says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, not all of us are gonna die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All of us, all believers shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now you notice Paul includes himself in this. Why? Because Paul was teaching and believed and God told him that the rapture of the church was imminent. He should have been looking for it in his time. Now what does that mean? It means that nothing has to take place before the rapture takes place. That's what it means. We should be looking for it. Paul was looking for it. He says to the Corinthians, listen, we, we shall not all sleep. So he figured this could happen to him. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, the twinkling of the eye. By the way, that is, a, that is a cool word, that word moment. It's a Greek word, atomos, and we get our word atom from it. Now, an atom's pretty small, right? In an atom of time, that's how fast it's going to take place. Physically, we won't know what hit us. Spiritually, we'll know what happened because we'll be so in tuned with the Lord. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Okay? Comfort one another with these words. Now, very, very, very important. Our third point today is this. When will the rapture take place? Listen. Anybody who starts setting dates for the rapture, okay, run, do not walk to your nearest exit. Yes, sir. No one knows when the rapture is going to take place. To speculate is ridiculous. There was a guy, uh, his name was Wisenant, back in 1988, he wrote a book, why, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Come in 88. Guess what? 
he was wrong because we're still here. Then he came up with another one. Then he had to adjust this and then he had to adjust that. We had a situation a few years ago, a pastor down in San Antonio, Texas, he made a big deal, a series of messages about the blood moons and all this kind of stuff and all this is pointing to this and all that and made a fortune on books and you know, it's all a picture and Jesus is coming soon and all these kind of things. Well, of course he's coming soon. We've been looking for him for almost 2,000 years and that's not negative, that's wonderful. You might say, well, wait a minute, though. If he hasn't come, don't you think you ought to just reject that teaching if it hasn't come? No, friend, we don't reject it. We know this. God never lies. Therefore, it's 2,000 years closer than it was when it was recorded. That means it's soon. When will it take place at any moment? Is there anything that must happen in the Bible before the rapture takes place? The answer to that is no. Absolutely nothing. It could take place today. The apostles were looking for it in their day. They wrote to us under inspiration to look for the Lord to come back at any time. They saw it as an imminent at any moment event, okay? I want you to see some scriptures on this. Turn with me over to Titus chapter 2. It says in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, looking, that's, that's present, Okay, present tense. The idea is we should be looking or I am looking. In other words, whenever you look, that is the present time. I should be looking now. I should be looking this afternoon. When I get up in the morning, I should be looking. If I get up in the middle of the night, Jesus could be coming back then. Have any of you ever dreamed that you, the rapture took place? Any of you? Some of you have, okay. Some of you have, okay. I've had a reoccurring dream, and it's probably not even biblical the way it takes place, but it's one of those things that occasionally I have this dream where, you know, uh, we're just going about business, I'm outside, and all of a sudden just everything starts getting weird outside. The atmosphere just starts getting weird and I start thinking, is this the rapture? Is this the rapture? Now, of course, that doesn't line up with the biblical court or what the scriptures say because it's going to take place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, okay? So it's not going to be like, this is it. This is the rapture. No, 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 no. Now, let me say this. That would better describe the second coming of Jesus to earth at the end of the tribulation period. That will be seen by everyone. I don't think anybody's going to see the rapture except the Christian. The world is going to just see, here's people, and all of a sudden, they have disappeared. They are gone. I'd say, how are they going to explain that? I don't know. I've got some ideas, but we're not covering that today. So when will the rapture take place? Anytime. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Go look with me to James chapter 5. I'm only giving you a handful here today. I could give you easily over 20 passages having to deal with this. James chapter 5 and verse 7, it says this, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. <laughs> now think about that. If James was not expecting the rapture, wouldn't he just say, be patient for the rest of your life? No, when does he say to be patient? What's in the context? To the coming of the Lord. They were looking for the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rains. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts 
for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It draws near. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon, is what James is saying. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. You ever had that? Maybe you're inviting somebody over, you're expecting company, and you hear maybe a door close outside, a car door, or this or that, or you're thinking, well, you know, it's, they're going to be here, they're supposed to be here at six, and so they should be here at any time, and you're anticipating, 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 and then all of a sudden, coming up to your front door, you hear some shuffling of the feet, and you're thinking, they're going to knock, they're almost at the door, they're almost at the door, and then they either ring the bell, Okay, or they knock on the door and well, there they are. You open the door and there they are. He says, Jesus, and you notice what he says, stands before the door. He standeth before the door. What is that? Any time. It's imminent. His coming is imminent. First John 2, 28, and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. John was writing to his people and he included them and he says, when he shall appear. He didn't say abide in him now, but you know, there's a future generation that will see him come. No, he includes them in the reality that Jesus could come back. Philippians 3.20, Paul says, for our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior. Have you ever looked for somebody to come? You know it could take place at any time. That's why you're looking, right? Paul was looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Also in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, going back to our text, it says, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord near. We which are alive. We which are alive. We which are alive. Paul was looking for Jesus to come back. That means it's an imminent event. Okay? Now, can we show that? Is that chart in there? And I don't, you know what, I came ill-equipped today. I didn't bring my pointer. Look at this chart up here on the, on the board or on the screen. You notice here, future events, okay? You see, uh, it says the church age. Do you see that where it says church age? That's the period in which we live today. I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 years old. We can't be exact with that. I'm just guessing. The church age will end with what we call, you notice, the arrow goes up. That's the rapture of the church. That's what we're studying today. After the rapture of the church, there's a seven-year period of time called the tribulation period, seven years long. That is going to be the worst time that the world has ever known, according to Jesus. He's God. He knows what he's talking about. He orchestrates it. He's in charge. More judgment will be poured out on the world during that time than they've ever seen. Now, of course, we know it's not, the world is not destroyed like it was in the flood. The flood was unique, okay? That judgment was a unique judgment. I'm talking about, though, earthquakes, fires, cosmic things, meteors, all kinds of things coming down to earth, incredible war, famine, pestilence, 
uh, demons, I mean, you name it. All these things are going to be poured out on the world. Somebody there's going to be after the rapture, a world ruler is going to emerge. We call him the Antichrist biblically. More about him in 2 Thessalonians when we get there, okay? But this period, and by the way, we'll be talking about the tribulation a little bit next week in our study in 1 Thessalonians. But this period of time after the rapture is going to be the worst time the world has ever known. Folks, you don't want to go through it. You don't have to go through it. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll be going up at the rapture. But if you don't, you'll be left behind. At the end of that seven years, Jesus is going to come back, and we will have been with Jesus seven years in heaven. We will come back with him at that point. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives, defeat the armies of the world, will be part of his army. Then he's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years and so forth. We won't go over all the details, but it's all there. Here's what I want you to understand. You notice when the rapture takes place, it takes place before the tribulation period. Now, the tribulation period has many signs to it. There are many events, according to the Bible, and especially in the book of Revelation, that tell us what's going to take place in the tribulation period when those things are going to take place. Yet, Paul says, we should be looking for the rapture to take place. Now, there are people today, and some of them are saved people, who believe that the church is going to either go through the tribulation before the rapture takes place, or the church is going to go through part of the tribulation before the rapture takes place. Well, if that was so, then there are certain world events that have to take place before the rapture takes place. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is that the rapture could take place at any moment. Listen, folks, they were looking for it 2,000 years ago. It will take place before the tribulation, all right? One theologian said this, and I quote, listen carefully, the pre-tribulational rapture, which means it's going to take place before the seven-year tribulation period, the pre-tribulational rapture view is the only view of the rapture which comfortably fits in the biblical teaching of the imminent return of Christ. It is the only view that can honestly say that Christ could return at any moment and that nothing else has to happen before his return. Since all the other views believe that the church will go through at least part of the 70th week of Daniel, which is the tribulation, before Christ returns to rapture it, those views cannot honestly say that Christ could return at any moment. According to those views, at least some part of the 70th week of Daniel uh, 9 has to transpire before Christ returns to rapture the church, unquote. Okay? No, no pre-tribulational, before the tribulation. That's when Jesus is coming. You know what that means? It means listen for the trumpet. It means it it could take place at any moment, which leads us to our last point today is this. How can you be sure of going up to heaven at the rapture? Listen carefully, friend. Listen carefully. This is very serious. You need to be sure you escape the tribulation because it's going to be the worst time of suffering that the world has ever known, according to Jesus. Not only that, that is just a precursor to hell itself. Hell is forever, and God does not want you to go there. How do I know that? Well, let's go back to John chapter 14, where we began. See, God does not want you 
to end up lost forever. God does not want you to go through the tribulation period. God loves you and he wants you to be delivered from it. Now it's interesting that word delivered because a synonym for the word delivered is the word saved. He wants you to be saved. Now when we talk about people getting saved, we are talking about people being saved from hell to heaven. Delivered from hell to heaven. And God wants that for you. But there's a problem. Your sin has to be forgiven. Because we're all sinners. Let me illustrate it this way. This hand representing you and me. Let this wallet represent our sin. All of us, including me, we are all sinners. Yet the Bible says God loves us. He hates our sin. You see, sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin. Not even one. So if you have committed even one sin in your life, you are separated from God and therefore you can't get into heaven. To get in, your sin has to be gone. Has to be gone. Has to be forgiven. Now, if you die without your sins forgiven, you might say, well, how does that happen? I'll get to that in just a moment. But if you die without your sins forgiven, you will die physically and then you'll be separated from God for all eternity. There's no second chances. There's no rest day nor night in hell. Okay, It is eternal punishment, eternal suffering for sin. Yet God does not want you to go there. And what he has done, he has provided a way that costs you nothing but costs him everything. He's provided a way to where you can live forever with him in heaven. And secondarily, you can be sure you're going to be taken out of the world at the rapture. But this is the main thing. We need a payment for sin. Now, a lot of people think your good works will pay for sin. Now, Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Here's what he's getting at. Because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves by our good works, Jesus came, took on flesh, sinless, God is sinless, and when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself, and he made the payment for your sin. He made it so you don't have to. He did it. He paid the price so you don't have to. The wrath of God was poured out on him, so it doesn't have to be poured out on you. He died, he made that payment, and three days later came back from the dead to prove it was done. And he says this, that if you will put your faith, your trust in him, that he made that payment for you, he will give you that moment everlasting life. Now here's what happens. Yes, Jesus has paid for your sin, but the payment's not good yet on your account. When you trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to get you to heaven, the payment he made is good on your behalf. He forgives you of all your sin. He cleanses you and he gives you everlasting life. Everlasting life. Two verses we love to talk about around here are Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says this, if you look at it with me. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. You notice it doesn't say for by works are you saved. For by grace, God's unmerited kindness. For by grace are you saved through faith in Christ. And that not of yourselves. It's not in you, it's in Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Do you see that? Not of works, lest any man should boast. If you are trusting in your good works to get you to heaven, that will not pay for your sin. If you die with your sin, you'll be lost forever in hell. 
Your good works can't take it away. The only thing that brings forgiveness is if you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you today put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? The Bible says, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for you and rose from the grave, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. Once you're saved, you're forever saved. That's good news. So if you haven't trusted Christ, would you do it today? Once you do it, you have everlasting life. It's yours. It's a gift. Just receive it. And you know what? Not only do you get heaven, but you also get the promise that before the seven-year tribulation breaks loose on earth, you're going to be taken out at the rapture of the church. I'm looking forward to it myself. It's going to be great. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.